Everyone turn to Moses chapter 2. Let's go back to the creation of the earth. So we all know why we needed an earth. We're in Heavenly Father's presence. We need to build an earth. Now look at chapter 2. It is the creation of the earth. Now let's be clear. Go to verse 27. Is Eve there? Read 27 carefully. Is Eve there? Yes. Male and female. Is Eve there? So is the, is the act of creation finished by the end of Moses chapter 2? Adam, man and woman, plants and animals, creation is done. Now flip to chapter 3 and go to the very end. And what story do you find in Moses chapter 3? Eve's creation. Now was Eve created in chapter 2? And we're recreating Eve in chapter 3. That's a bit of a puzzle. I spent years asking why. Why? I am confident Eve was there when he says created. How do you command Adam to multiply and replenish the earth if there's no Eve there? I am confident that Eve was there at the end of chapter 2. So why then this whole story of the rib in chapter 3? Now, I don't know that I can say definitively, but allow me to say my observation is that chapter 3 is commentary. It's how to live in this world. He's created it. Now he says, let me tell you how to be successful in this world. So going back over chapter 3, it is fascinating to look at chapter 3 in terms of What's the message from Heavenly Father about how to succeed? Now, I think all of you, speaking of cars, when you hit 16 or whenever you got your license and your parents were about to hand keys over to a very expensive piece of machinery, did they do that without any commentary or lessons or comments? If you're like me and my children, I'm not going to hand keys over to an expensive piece of equipment until my children know exactly how to handle it, right? And I'm going to drive with them. And if I don't see some significant mastery of the equipment, I will never turn the keys over to them, right? Do you think Heavenly Father is going to turn the keys over to this planet without some commentary? Is he going to send us into this planet without teaching us how to succeed and then hand us the keys? I would suggest that is chapter three. It is Heavenly Father commenting on how to be successful in this planet. We can also say, too, that when you're handing the keys over, that's also sometimes when you say what the rules and boundaries are as well, that I'm giving this to you now, but... I can take it away. Yeah. Yeah. So now look at the very, very beginning of chapter three as commentary. Let's make the assumption that it's Heavenly Father saying, if you want to succeed on this planet that we just created, if you want to do well, tell me the first lesson out of his mouth. In fact, if we really are timing, if we're if we're if we're making a list. The very first commandment God gave in this world was back in chapter 1, verse 27, multiply and replenish the earth. 
the second commandment would then be what? Okay, that's back. We're, we, we're now created. We've got to come into this creation. Or we got to, let's, let's hold off on that one. What would be the next, what, what, is, what is Moses chapter 3 verse 1? Well, the very first few verses. Work and rest. So tell me what was the very second commandment. Have children, multiply. My plan doesn't go forward if you don't help me. I need your help to make this plan go forward. So multiply and replenish the earth. Now, second commandment. Before he said rest, what does he, what does he imply? He worked Work. Now, what was God's ratio? I think this is a pretty, I don't know if we should go this far, but what was God's ratio? Six days of work, one day of rest. But true or false, God commanded us to rest. God commanded us to work. And he commanded us to rest. How well have you obeyed your heavenly father in that commandment? He knows the mortal condition and he knows what it's going to take to be successful in our families, in our marriages, and in life. And right out of his mouth, right out of the gates, his commandment was, you need to work and you need to rest. So now open up the proclamation. Let's go back to our text. Open up the proclamation and go back to successful families. Let me pull it up so we can see it together. All right, here we go. Successful marriages and families are established and maintained on nine principles. And we've talked about them kind of in pairs. Faith and prayer, repentance and forgiveness, respect, love, and compassion. And what's the last pair? Work and the equivalent of rejuvenation. Rest. Sharpen the style, however you want to word it. It made the list. Now, what were some of the principles that didn't make this list? We, we, we rattled off a few last time. What's not on that list? Service, obedience, humility, sacrifice. And yet what made the list? Work hard and rest. Wholesome recreational activities, play, unwinding, made the list. That means for marriages to be successful, there needs to be some work. We need to work. We need to work at our marriage. We need to work in our marriage. And we need to rest, play, have fun. It is as successful as anything else that we do in families. It reminds me of Big Tom. Um, I enjoyed uh, Elder Richard G. Scott's 
some of his talks about family and love and marriage and stuff. And there was one that he was talking on where he was giving the story where he was like busy or something. He was doing work or something like all day, I think. And he like came home and found out that the laundry machine was like not working for some reason. So his wife was hand washing and he was getting ready to like start fixing that. And the wife caught him and was like, what do you think you're doing? He's like, I'm going to be fixing the machine for you. And he's like, no, go play with the children. It's like he's been working all day and stuff, and he was doing a good thing. He was wanting to serve his wife, but his wife was like... And we're going we're gonna to re read several examples. Yes, one thing. We're going to hear Jesus say, one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part. So before we start jumping into it, I just want to pause and just invite you to ask yourself, in your family, in your marriage, in your life, Tell me what this bar looks like in the balance between work and rest or pray or re play or rejuvenation, whatever you want to call the balancing side of work. What does your balance look like in your life? Now, are there scriptures? Now, are there some people who are out of balance on the side of work? And what kind of scriptures? Can you think of a few scriptures where the Lord is saying, you guys need to work better. You need to work harder. The Doctrine and Covenants is full of verses that say the idler shall not have uh, an inheritance in Zion. The, the children of Zion are full of idleness. In other words, what's the gist of what he's saying? You're out of balance and you need to work more, work harder. But over here, can you think of scriptures where he says, you guys are missing it. I rested. You're not resting. For example, let's do a couple of them. Turn to Mos or, um, King Benjamin's address, Mosiah chapter 4. This beautiful verse in verse 40. Mosiah chapter 4, verse 40. Sorry, 30. It's 30. It's not 40. Dang, now, you've, now I've got myself second guessing. Mosiah 4, I think it's 30. I'm pretty sure it's 30. Nope. It's 27. Definitely not 40. <laughs> yeah, definitely not 40. Okay, Mosiah 4, 27. And see that all these things are done in wisdom and order. What might be an equivalent word? Balance. Make sure your life is balanced. For it is not smart, it is not requisite that a man should run faster than he hath strength. Again, it is expedient that he should be diligent, that thereby he might win the prize. Therefore, all things must be done in order. Fancy way of saying what to some people? Chill. Chill. Take a break. You need to rest. You need to relax. You need to unwind because you are strung really tight. Isn't that the commandment? Don't you read those words here? You are running faster than you have strength. Now, most people don't really make the connection that this is a commandment from Heavenly Father. 
that knowing how our bodies function, knowing how mortality works, Heavenly Father is commanding us to balance that work and rest. So guessing, as I know my audience, where you're out of balance. Now, I, I know your age group. And knowing you, where are you out of balance? I think most of you forget to relax and rest. Especially, now maybe not so much summertime, right? But when the semester starts and you're fully enrolled in school or 100% engaged at work and you're going to be overwhelmed and the load gets heavy. And Heavenly Father says, you're forgetting one of the first commandments I gave. So let me give a couple cautions. Can I teach some principles of the gospel that will help you rest, play, relax better. Let me invite you to take something off your shoulders. You are Pharaoh. You are doing what Pharaoh did to yourself. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 5. Let me show you the tendency that all people, I watch it in myself, I watch it in my wife, Let's take a busy student, okay? Let's take the student. Uh, let's go to Moses, Exodus chapter 5. Children of Israel. Okay, where are you, Pharaoh? Okay, turn to Mo Exodus chapter 5. We'll just wait for a second. But let me, let me play out this scenario. Ready? You got a lot of homework. You're taking a lot of classes. Your degree is heavy. Uh, you put off taking organic chemistry, and now you've got to take a whole lot of organic chemistry, and that's not very organic. Oh, my goodness. No one should take organic chemistry. <laughs> but you put it off, and now you've got to take organic chemistry, and oh, by the way, you're also taking a heavy load of physics or whatever the load is. You've got a lot of homework. You're super stressed. Your body is starting to show the result of being super stressed. So you say to yourself, I'm going to sit and relax. Tell me what happens in your head when you sit down to relax. You say to tell me the conversation you have with yourself. Whitney, be honest. What's the conversation you have with yourself when your body says, I need a minute. Can I relax? And as soon as I sit down, I start saying... I'm lazy. I'm not doing enough. Now, guess where you got that from? Not, I shouldn't say got that from. You are doing what Pharaoh did to the children of Israel. Do you remember when Moses came to Pharaoh and said, let my people go into the wilderness that we can worship our God? Can we just go out and have a temple experience? Tell me what Pharaoh said. Let's read these three verses. And tell me if this sounds familiar. What did Pharaoh say? Whitney, I'll let you read them. You shall no more give the people straw to make bricks, as heretofore let them go and gather straw for themselves. And the tale of the bricks 
which they did make here heretofore, ye shall lay upon them, ye shall not diminish aught thereof, for they be idle. Therefore they cry, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let their no let their more work be laid upon the men, that they may labor therein, and let them not and let them not interpret. Amanda, you smiled. Interpret. Pharaoh wants to make them work so hard that they don't ask him. If you have time to worship, you have time to work harder. Now tell me you don't do that to yourself. Tell me as you sit there looking at the books and knowing the paper needs to be written and your body's saying, I need a minute. Can I rest? And your mind starts to say, if you have time to rest, then you're not studying hard enough and you're lazy. See this phrase? The conclusion, you want time to go to the temple? You want to go to the temple? What's his conclusion? They're lazy. They're not working hard enough. The irony is, what's the reality? They're working too hard and need to rest. Don't pharaoh yourself. Don't believe the lie. When you sit there and look at the books or all that you need to do. Oh, I promised my wife I'd go do that. Oh, I should be doing that. I'm lazy. And then I stop resting and I get up and I work harder. Harder, but you don't necessarily work as efficient as like you don't give as good quality. If you take that time to rest, if you take that time to put balance, your work is higher quality. Your work is more than enough to cover what you spent the time resting. If Pharaoh understood that, what would he have done? If he if he understood that very true principle, yes, go rest, go rejuvenate. What would the result have been? Better work. Better, more efficient work. So if I close the books and take a minute, what happens when I come back to the books? Do you see the brilliance of why God commanded us to rest? And yet, how many of us in this room are guilty of pharaohing yourself? Convincing yourself, if I have time to rest, I'm not working hard enough. Therefore, I should keep working. And you deny yourself the very thing that would make working more efficient. Let's do another one. Luke chapter 10. You know I'm going here, right? Those of you who know the story, you know I'm going here. Luke chapter 10. Who? You know the story? Mary and Martha? All right, New Testament, Luke chapter 10. Jesus has come to dinner. Now tell me what happens when Jesus comes to dinner. Tell me what your mom would do if Jesus were coming to dinner. Jesus, Mary's not working. <laughs> yeah. Hey, no, you need to help me. You need to clean. I need help cleaning this house. So Martha is frantically trying to prepare a meal. Now, is that a good thing? Is making dinner for Jesus and all the company a good thing? Yes. But right now, 
she's out of balance. So he came, let's start in verse 38. This is Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now it came to pass, as they went, he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his words. But Martha was, I need you to note this next word. Martha was what? Cumbered. Martha was cumbered about much serving. And came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. Stop sitting at the feet of Jesus and being taught by him and come make dinner with me. Now, is it possible that in another circumstance, the right thing would be to tell Mary to go help? One time in general conference, Brigham Young found out about the people stuck in the snow, the handcart company stuck in the snow. He found out that they were on there. They were almost to Salt Lake at general conference. Guess what he told them to do? This afternoon's session is canceled so that you go home and prepare food for these pipe people that are coming in. Is there a moment where Jesus would have said to Mary, stop and go help? Why isn't that moment? Why isn't this that moment? Because the greater need here is what? The greater need is to uncumber Martha. Would you please tell my sister to stop helping or stop listening and help me and tell me what Jesus does? This is significant. He double names her. Can you think of any other moment where he does that? My, that's like getting called your full ma- for name. I knew I was in trouble when I heard Bryce Lang. I was in trouble when I got middle named. Mary or Martha got double named. Tell me what Jesus is doing with his head when he says it. He's shaking it, right? Martha, Martha. Now, how many times in your life have you kind of heard Jesus saying, Bryce, Bryce, thou art careful. Now, tell me the footnote here. Not careful, you're being careful. Thou art worried. Cumbered, worried, and troubled about many things. Now, I think, I truly think he's saying at this moment, right now, what is needful, she has chosen. One thing right now is needful. And Mary hath chosen that. Notice what he didn't say. So many people, when they quote this, quote him as saying, Mary has chosen the, no, no, no. Is resting better than work? No. But what's needful? Right now, what's needful is you to come join her. Well, what about the food? You know what? That'll take care of itself. What's needful? is what Mary has chosen. Mary chose that good part. 
you have chosen another good part, but not the needful thing. Far too often in our families and in our marriages, we don't choose the needful thing. I get home from a long, hard day of work. I have, I have an 11-year-old son who wants to shoot in the backyard. Dad, can you come shoot? Can we play, can we play basketball? Will you come shoot with me? Remember his name, Keegan Dunford. You will see it in the NBA someday, I am convinced. This kid eats, sleeps, and drinks basketball. He can frequently beat me in a three-point shooting contest. And when I get home from work, all he wants is to go play basketball. And I'm tired. I'm exhausted. There are some days I've been up since 6 a.m. and gone nonstop. And now he wants me to go play basketball in the heat of the summer. Now, what's needful in that moment? So the needful thing changes. And I'll admit, there are times when work is what's needful. If your grades are slipping, if you're not making enough money, to meet the needs of your family, what might Heavenly Father say? You need to work harder. I have been told that in my life. The Spirit has whispered, you need to work harder. But sometimes when we are cumbered and worried and troubled, what is needful is to rest. Or play. Can I read one of, I love, can I read, I'll share it, share it with you. Let me read, let me, let's read together one of my absolute favorite journal entries from Joseph Smith. February 4th, 1843. Now tell me about 1843. Joseph dies in what year? 1844. He's a year away from death. Tell me about, tell me about Nauvoo. Tell me about those last years of Joseph Smith's life. He's building a temple. He's restoring temple covenants. He's mayor. He's in charge of the military. February 4th, 1843. At four in the afternoon, I went out with my little Frederick to exercise myself by sliding on the ice. Now, can you picture the prophet sliding on the ice? Now, what might passersby have said? What might passersby have said? Well, it's kind of like another story, too, where there was a priest, I believe, from another religion, and he, like, came by, like, one of their towns or something, and he saw Joseph Smith running around with children and stuff, and he was like... He scoffed. What is he doing? That's not a prophet. What might passersby think as he's sliding on the ice? That he's lazy, not working hard enough. And because they might think that, what's, what might Joseph Smith have had a tendency to do? Well, I better not do it. But I love that the prophet Joseph Smith went out and slid on the ice. That's why Heavenly Father invented mud and frozen ice 
and basketball hoops. And swings for President Nelson. You can tell that story. Tell it. I don't. I think he got a swing for his birthday. Uh huh. And, and he's how old? Ninety. <laughs> and did they, they, just, they put a picture of it on social media, and it was the best thing ever. Yeah. <laughs> now, is there a lot on his plate? Is there a lot on his mind? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, one thing would be needful. And where's President Nelson? Swinging. Lesson learned. Have I made my point? He wanted to keep skiing and mowing the lawn. Yeah. And finally, the church had to say, President Nelson, we're cutting you off. No more skiing for you. I bear you my solemn witness, and I don't think we need to talk much more. I think you know the doctrine, but you don't grant yourself the application. Allow me kindly to let you hear the Holy Ghost double name you and say one thing is needful. Don't forget it. Don't forget to rest. Now, may I plant a bug in your head someday when you have children? What do families need to do? Families need to work. Your children need to work. And there might be an occasion where you have a family meeting to say, guys, it's summertime, but you are spending a lot of time on screens. And I think we need to put them down and get some work done. That might be what's needful for your family. But please don't forget that guess what else families need to do? They need to play. They need to have water balloon fights and they need to go to lagoon and walks and they need to laugh. And if all you do is work, you are not teaching your children what they need. Children need to laugh and to play. And one more, as you, as you, if you'll just plant that in your head that your family needs to play. And I love, going back to the proclamation, how do they word it here? Wholesome recreational activities. Wholesome recreational activities. You need to plan wholesome recreational activities. The last thing I want to say is, Whitney? The last thing I want to say is be sensitive to your spouse and provide what's needful. I love this. I know Elder Holland's quoting someone else, but I quote Elder Holland. This is advice he gave to my organization when I was a young teacher, and I have passed it on to everyone I possibly can. Elder Holland said, a drugstore psychologist once said that people need three things to be emotionally healthy. Someone to love, significant things to do, and something pleasant to look forward to. Brethren, make sure your wife has something pleasant, something genuinely fun 
to look forward to regularly. That's part of being a good husband, a good wife, a good mom, a good dad. When you can recognize that my spouse is struggling and needs something fun to look forward to. My children have a tendency when they get a job, they, I don't know what it is about my obsessive family about obsessing over saving. And my, I have children who work and save and work and save and they won't spend a penny. And I can't tell you how many discussions I've had with my children to say, what do you look forward to? You can't possibly look forward to saving more money. No one looks forward to saving more. And so I tell them your assignment is to pick something that you're saving for and plan when you purchase it. Now you have a reason to save and you have something pleasant to look forward to. So all my working children know that I'm going to ask, what are you saving for? What are you looking forward to? And finally, it's gotten through to some of their heads to say, you know what? I'm going to grant myself, I'm going to save and buy that. I'm looking forward to it. Great. Have something wholesome, fun, pleasant to look forward to. Make sure your spouse has something wholesome, fun, and pleasant to look forward to. And make sure your children have wholesome, fun, pleasant things to look forward to. Don't be so cumbered and worried and troubled that you neglect what's needful. It is my prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.